0: Are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Brenda McManus. Uh, She's working out of uh, Trinity College. In Dublin, uh, part of the Dublin Dental University Hospital. Uh, She's an experimental officer in microbiology, and she's looking at uh, bacteria that sounds like shouldn't be in uh, foot ulcer infections, but yet they are. They're from another part of the body. So we're going to be talking about that and, and her work. So Brenda, thanks for coming.
2: Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. It's nice to talk to you this evening. Yeah. Well, if
1: you would tell me, so in your own words, what's your research about?
2: Okay, well, I suppose um, in a nutshell, what our research is doing is is looking to see if there can be a bit of an interplay between uh, different diseases that might occur in um, one human host. So in particular, we're looking to see if the Oral nasal cavity, so the mouth and the nose, can actually influence um, the health of other aspects of the body. And we know that actually there's a big uh, link between oral health and systemic health, the health of the rest of the body. But we're looking at it, I suppose, me as a microbiologist, I'm kind of interested to see if the the bacteria or the bugs that are living in the mouth or the nose can influence the health of other sites in the body. So the research that I'm leading at the moment is actually looking at people who have diabetes. Um and diabetes is a disease that happens if you have too much glucose sugar building up in your blood. Um right. and this is because uh because of a problem with a hormone known as insulin. So people who have diabetes tend to have either their body doesn't produce insulin anymore or else they don't produce enough insulin or the insulin that they produce is no longer effective and this means that it's not able to process the glucose in the blood so in a way so that cells can actually use it for energy so the problem is when that glucose builds up in the blood and the blood brings the high levels of glucose around the body that can cause problems. Diabetes yeah, no, I think we've we've all heard that it's becoming a, a real problem worldwide. I think there's about 10% of the global population now have diabetes. And a huge proportion of that actually don't even know that they have diabetes. It's undiagnosed. Um, but the most common type of diabetes around now is type 2 diabetes. So that tends to happen later on in life. And it's when the body no longer produces enough insulin or the insulin that it, pr- it produces is no longer really effective. So because... It's kind of a, a disease that can influence the blood and the sugars in the blood. It, it has the potential to cause a lot of damage in lots of other aspects of the, uh, lots of other parts of the body. So, um, for example, it can have an effect on the nerve endings or the heart or the eyes or the kidneys. And another complication that tends to arise in people who have diabetes are diabetic foot ulcers.
1: Yeah, I've heard about those. What? So why does that happen from a traditional look and then it sounds like you're looking at it from a different aspect
2: yeah so there's so they can they can kind of happen um for a number of reasons so diabetes uh, people with diabetes might have a sort of poorer circulation than normal or else they can have damage to nerve endings which means they might not feel extremities as well so like if there's if say a pressure wound was to to build up on their foot they mightn't be aware of it because of the nerve damage down there um or sometimes if there was like a, a foot deformity or badly fitted fitted shoes or whatever again a person with diabetes might not be aware of that as much so they wouldn't get the pain before they develop the wound you know so they're a little bit more prone to developing these foot ulcers and also the healing times um, can be slower as well and in, in this group so, uh, sorry. Yeah,
1: I, I had heard that it was uh, the microcirculation, I guess, the capillaries and all that in the foot and everything. They get, uh, I yeah. mean, those, those vessels, I don't know, do they get blocked with sugar? Do they, do they become atherosclerotic? Do they just die? That's- like, what happens?
2: that's it yeah sometimes you can get a lot of plaque building up in the arteries and you can get a lot of arthrosclerosis which means yeah that the circulation that can impact on the healing of the the wound as well so um there's not as much i suppose immune cells getting to it or influencing the healing aspects of things so when an ulcer develops in a patient with diabetes they can they can be there for a really long time um and that can go on so i think between sort of 15 and twenty. 20% Twenty percent of people who have diabetes can expect to develop a foot ulcer of some kind over their cor- the course of their lifetime. And so how did you?
1: Um, yeah, I know that. I know this can eventually lead to like you know amputations yeah. of limbs if it goes on long enough, right?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a real problem um, because if you have a chronic foot, foot ulcer and it becomes infected, then that really really increases the risk of you ultimately needing to have a lower limb extremity amputation um which is obviously going to have massive consequences for a patient and you know their life subsequently and their family and their carers as well they can be really uh, life-changing as well as you know really expensive to the national healthcare budget so are um, are, are diabetics
1: encouraged to do like visual inspection of their limbs and their body pretty often
2: they really are yeah and generally they would have a, a Um, fairly regular appointments with diabetes nurses and uh, if they have a history as well of foot problems they would you know meet with a podiatrist as well to have a uh, have checkups there as well and those would include things like checking the the pulses so checking the circulation that's going down to the foot as well as checking the nerve endings to see how much feeling is left in them as well and then there'd be advice given about types of shoes and footwear to be wearing as well
1: okay and then it sounds like you're, um, you're saying oral health would have an impact on, you know, the appearance and the progression of, for instance, diabetic foot ulcers. So tell me about how you came to that possible realization.
2: Okay. So um, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a microbiologist and I'm working in the Dublin Dental University Hospital, so somewhere around dentists quite a lot of the time. And um, over the last 10 years, a lot of my research has focused on different types of diseases that affect the oral cavity. And over the last few years, I've been working on a type of disease called periodontal disease, or um, it's a type of gum disease. So this is a disease that affects the teeth and the gums. So periodontal disease is caused by the bacteria that can build up on the surface of the teeth in you know, dental plaque. And when the immune system responds to the bacteria that are on the surface of the teeth, you can get a lot of swelling and inflammation in the area surrounding the tooth. And that can cause um, the formation of these little pockets that are known as periodontal pockets within the gums so you know um a sign of this might be you know if you if your gums bleed when you're brushing them and and um they're quite red and they if they start to recede a little bit so you know your gums start to recede back from your teeth slightly and if it progresses it can ultimately start to be really really destructive you can start to lose a lot of the bone on underneath the um underneath the teeth that's supported and hold it in place and ultimately leading to tooth loss you you know what's
1: funny you know what's funny i just thought of is um you know the Grimm's fairy tale of like uh, the wolf that ate the grandmother, and they say, "My, what big teeth you have!" Yeah, I was just oh, yeah. imagining—I was imagining someone with periodontal disease. And oh yeah, maybe because their gums are receding.
2: Yeah, <laughs> gums are
1: receding. So you say, "My, what big teeth you have!" But
2: that's why, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what's interesting is actually periodontal disease. It's it's fairly common. I think it probably affects you know nearly half of half of adults at some point during their life but it's at least twice as common and often a lot more severe in people who have diabetes and that's because the extra sugar that they have in their blood in their their blood and also they can sometimes have a reduced salivary flow so um mm-hmm. it's it's fairly well established now that periodontal disease is a major problem in this group and a lot more um research more and more is beginning to show Links between periodontal disease and other types of um, disorders in other parts of the world or body, sorry. So, um, for example, now there there are loads of different researchers now beginning to draw links between periodontal disease and cardiovascular disease and the build up of plaques in the arteries, um, leading to heart attacks or strokes, kidney disease, um, arthritis, and then also even just um, neurological disorders are also becoming. Uh, as associated with periodontal disease like alzheimer's and parkinson's and it seems that this seems to be part of the interplay between the inflammatory response as a role in uh taking part in periodontal disease rather than you know the the actual bacteria that are there it seems to be a big interplay between the inflammation and the inflammatory response to the to the plaque and yeah. bacteria in the plaque well
1: my my dad is uh In his seventies, and he's had diabetes for a while, and he'll go for, I guess, like a deep periodontal cleaning where they clean his gums out. You know, every three or six months or so.
2: That's really good. That's really good.
1: Is is there? Um, I would think there needs to be. Is there a whole branch of dentistry like called diabetic dentistry? Has that arrived yet or evolved?
2: Um, certainly hasn't in Ireland, not yet. Um, I think there is some of the diabetes literature in Ireland would draw attention to, you know, looking after health and trying pre- to prevent periodontal disease. Um, but I probably, it probably isn't emphasized enough.
1: So what's, um, I guess because in your mouth there's ready access to your bloodstream.
2: That's exactly. I've heard
1: that, um, yeah, I've heard that in atherosclerotic plaques, there'll be bacteria that shouldn't be there. They're supposed to be from the mouth, but they get into your vessels and you know arteries and stuff because I guess they migrate. So, are you yeah. thinking that there's a role in diabetic foot ulcers because bacteria from the mouth, you know, right there and near the bloodstream, they jump in, they go all the way down to the foot, and then they cause problems.
2: That's that's one of the theories, yeah. Um So, periodontal pockets are obviously you you know if your gums are bleeding when you're when you're brushing them, then there's obviously. link or an opening into the bloodstream at that point and some research has actually shown that in patients who have you know gingivitis or periodontal disease by brushing their teeth they can actually detect detect oral bacteria in the blood 10 minutes after these patients have brushed their teeth so it's been well shown that you know um, something as non-invasive as brushing your teeth can introduce periodontal bacteria into the bloodstream um so what I have found in some of the previous research is that patients who have periodontal disease have a lot of staphylococcal bacteria in their mouths, and particular some of them, um, some particular types of staphylococcal bacteria in the periodontal pockets as well. And what's interesting is that staphylococcal bacteria are the most common cause of diabetic foot, foot ulcer infections. So you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. We're we're looking at we're looking to see if staphylococci in the, the gums and the mouth um, can actually be associated with diabetic foot ulcer infections. Now it's possible that they could be introduced by entry into the bloodstream, like we just discussed, or you know it could be simple hand transfer as well you could
1: you could do something that uh you know a paper that says gobsmacked by uh by diabetic foot ulcers you know the, the hidden yeah. tie between them or something
2: that's a good one yeah i've te- i've tried to do things with like you know putting your foot in it <laughs> but uh it's kind of tricky yeah Ugh. yeah
1: so um so you okay so you said brushing i can imagine now if if i brush my teeth and my gums bleed uh which has happened sometimes
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm brushing any, any additional food particles and bacteria right there. Now there's an open access port for them to go into my bloodstream. So you said that uh, people have been tested 10 minutes after brushing and then there's bacteria in their bloodstream.
2: Yeah. That's been well, shown. I guess then it's
1: only a, a few more seconds or a minute or two before they get all over the body and then they can, uh, you know, the bacteria are seeking food and they're in a new environment.
2: So they're going to try to
1: proliferate, you know?
2: Yeah, but a lot of the time, a healthy immune system would be able to manage that in the bloodstream quite easily. But the problem, one of the aspects of diabetes is that the immune system is challenged. So if patients with diabetes may be more prone towards developing a metastatic infection from the oral cavity, if there's periodontal disease present.
1: Well, this would also look like a chronic infection because if I brush twice a day to my body, the rest of it, it's like, here they come again. Here they come again. So, twice a day, every day, maybe all day long, or for a period of hours, I have like this, essentially, this chronic infection from these in- inbound well, pathogenic bacteria.
2: Well, it's quite a transient infection. It wouldn't it wouldn't be chronic because it would be cleaned up by the your immune cells in your bloodstream. Mm.
1: Yeah, I just wonder what that challenge that that daily challenge does not to just the mouth environment, but to the whole body. But like you said, when they're weakened by diabetes, then it's, it's much worse.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And patients with diabetes can also have other problems as well, like cardiovascular disease is a big one as well. So an, another link between periodontal disease and, and heart attacks can also be the the buildup of atherosclerotic plaque. And then um, in, in rare cases, endocarditis has been associated with streptococcal bacteria from the mouth as well.
0: If you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes.
1: Yeah. How, how you specifically, like, what's your goal with the research? Are you trying to find the consequences of, you know, I guess a dysbiotic mouth microbiome on the rest of the body or, you know, what's your particular focus and trying to understand.
2: Okay. So I suppose we're very much at the, at the very beginning of this research and while we would, we would like to get to the, comparative microbiome aspect of it we're starting out with just staphylococcal um species for the moment because staphylococci are you know the the most common cause of superficial diabetic foot ulcer infections so generally a foot ulcer infection will start with to, caused by just one species and most of the time that's staphylococcus but as a foot ulcer infection progresses then you get other types of bacteria, bacteria moving in and the, the ulcer infection might become quite chronic and necrotic and you know you get anaerobic bacteria moving in them as well so but we we decided just to look at staphylococci for the moment and um, we can do direct comparison so comparing the genomes of bacteria so the genome being you know the complete set of instructions for an organism um so the genome is made up of lots of different types of nucleotides which, which are arranged into a specific sequence and that sequence or genomic sequence is distinct for Every individual organism on the planet. So, what we're doing is um, we're taking swabs or samples from the mouth and from pockets and from the nose and from the finger and the toe skin and ulcers of patients who have diabetes and foot ulcers. And what we're doing then is we are looking at those samples, all the different samples from each participant to see what types of species are present on each site, what types of staphylococcal species are present on each site, and then comparing them with each other. And then if we do start to recover the same species from multiple different sites of a patient, then we're going down to have a look at the genomes of the isolates that we've recovered from all of those different sites to see if they're exactly the same strain. And if they are exactly the same strain, from each site in each patient, then that would be really, really strong evidence to say that there was transmission between the two different sites. So we put out a paper there earlier, just in April, that was showing fairly good supporting evidence that isolates of Staphylococcus aureus from multiple different sites of patients with diabetes were actually the same strain, which is given us some conclusive evidence then that there's definitely a link between these different sites.
1: So the Staph aureus seems to first preferentially travel through the bloodstream to the foot and when it's there now it's in a in a unfamiliar environment and it causes these foot ulcers
2: well the natural the natural carriage site that would be considered for staphylococcus aureus would actually be the nose about 30 percent of people have carry staphylococcus aureus in the nose all of the time and then about another 30 percent will carry it um you know transiently or occasionally not all the time but it's there sometimes and so that would typically be considered something from the or nasal cavity rather than being on the foot.
1: I guess a probable a possible confounder is that I've heard staph aureus is also on people's skin in general. So when an it ulcer is. first forms, perhaps the source of the staph aureus is local to the ulcer. I don't know.
2: It could be, it could be, but that in order to look at that, we also take swabs of the the, the skin of the finger and the skin of the toe. So presumably then if staph aureus was typically resident on the skin of those those people then we we would pick it up from their fingers or their toes as well but what's have interesting people,
1: have, have, have ulcers been characterized you know people with diabetic ulcers have they looked for ones where it progresses very quickly and strongly and ones where it doesn't and maybe there's a correlation between you know the staph aureus load in their skin i mean i know there's only so much you could test but has anyone looked at that
2: um, they haven't really. I suppose there can be a bit of interplay between um, the types of organisms that are th- on the ulcer, but they can also be uh, a lot to do with management and care. And because there's so many different comorbidities in patients with diabetes anyway, it can be kind of hard to stratify data like that. But what I w- would mention is that there people... Most of the research has, has only looked at Staphylococcus aureus in terms of diabetic foot ulcers, but there's actually another type of Staphylococcus, Staphylococcus species called Staphylococcus epidermidis, and that's found on the on the skin everywhere in everyone, like it's it's ubiquitous on on human skin, and it we found it quite commonly in diabetic foot ulcers as well. So. What we've in our pilot research, which we published, we recovered Staph aureus from six out of thirteen ulcers, and then in another five of those thirteen, it was Staphylococcus epidermidis. So I think that there's possibly a role for Staphylococcus epidermidis in these ulcers as well. But it's quite possible that Staph epidermidis could could confer kind of a protective effect on the ulcers. So it might actually prevent an ulcer infection developing by being there. You know, maybe by preventing Staph aureus from actually gaining access to it, because you never really see Staph aureus and Staph epidermidis together in one site. There seems to be an either or kind of a, a system between them. Mm-hmm. So um, Staphylococcus epidermidis doesn't seem to be as pathogenic as Staph aureus at all. It doesn't have the same amount of virulence factors. It's, it's very much a commensal organism. It, it really just wants to be there and do its own thing. The only thing about Staphylococcus epidermidis is that it tends to have a lot more genes that encode antimicrobial resistance. So if you were to get an infection from Staph leucoccus epidermidis it's definitely less common but they can be sometimes quite hard to treat because they like to produce a lot of biofilm and it's kind of sticky a sticky kind of a substance that it can kind of put out around itself which makes it much harder for antibiotics to penetrate into and they have a, a lot of a lot more genes to kind of develop resistance towards these antibiotics as well there's a little bit more to it i think than just the staphylococcus aureus
1: yeah, well I don't know much about ulcers. I mean, what what is an ulcer and how do they form, first of all?
2: So an ulcer is, is really a type of, of wound that can form um, by repetitive injury, I, I suppose.
1: Oh, does it form from the inside out or the outside in? Like, have you looked no. at, you know, pictures of brand new ulcers just starting to form and then like, a, you know, like a longitudinal look on how they progress?
2: Well, I, I'm not a podiatrist um, and I haven't a huge amount of experience with foot ulcers myself, but I think they generally do form from the outside working in.
1: Yeah, the reason why I say it, it might be useful to look at them is it, then you can consider what's the microenvironment of an ulcer look like. And that may give clues on okay, when the ulcer forms, is it first accessible to the outside air or is it first accessible to the interior of the body? And again, okay. initially, there's probably two microenvironments before the thing you know it's gross but I guess pops open and there's interplay between the in and the out um I don't know just the thought
2: yeah I think the environment of of an ulcer can definitely change over time depending on how it progresses so you know if it it deepens then obviously it's going to be quite a different site to one that's more superficial
1: so you think there's at least at first glance a competition between staph aureus and staph epidermis and is it that in an ulcer, the staph aureus starts to win and excludes and pushes out the uh, the staph epidermis?
2: I'm not quite sure, because we tend to see a lot of staph epidermis in periodontal pockets. Um, and they are a diseased site. But so in, it could be considered that maybe staph epidermis pl- plays some kind of a role in um, the biofilm in a periodontal pocket site but maybe not, not necessarily contributing to the d- disease as such, but just being present. In the diabetic foot ulcers, generally it'll be either staph aureus that's there or staph epidermidis that's there. But that so far, we haven't seen any real correlation between, you know, staph epidermidis is there. There's no clinical signs of infection. Staph aureus is there. There are clinical signs of infection. At the moment, it's really not that clear cut.
1: Yeah, that's why you're saying the the picture is muddied so far.
2: Yeah so, well,
1: yeah. so what do you, what's going to be, like, what do you imagine the progression of your research might be? What are you figuring out now? So, uh, Okay, there is staph aureus there, at least in some cases. And then you're going to genotype it or look at the you know the sequence to make sure. And then yeah. then what? Like, what do you want to continue to prove? What's the line so, of thinking?
2: So what I, so many different ones. One, the next one I would be interested to look in is if the, staph aureus in the mouth or the nose and the ulcers are exactly the same strain and we continue to find that then is it potentially moving through the bloodstream or is it potentially being transferred by the hands so i guess then you know um I would love to start to do kind of model looking at doing a blood draw um, on a patient, say, 10 minutes after they've brushed their teeth or undergone periodontal debridement therapy and see if we could uh, recover *Staphylococcus aureus from the bloodstream of those patients and see if they were identical um, to potentially, I suppose, to draw a more conclusive chain of transmission, as it were, you know, Or else to maybe start to look at more uh, finger sites or whatever to see if it could be just a hand to nose or a hand to foot kind of contamination issue or transmission that way. Um, Another one that I'd really like to look at is comparing the microbiome between the two sites, because if if you could detect the same strains of staphylococcal species of both sites well are there other types of bacteria that are in common between the two sites as well because they they can actually they are comparable sites you know they're both um they're both wounds you know periodontal pocket is a wound in the gums
1: um you mentioned you're trying to establish if they're the exact same but you know i know that bacteria have their own phageome you know all the phages associated with them and Phages can transmit plasmids, you know, and the bacteria can transmit plasmids between each other. They may not be the same, you know, the uh, staph aureus in the mouth and the staph aureus, let's say, in a diabetic foot ulcer. But if they're only changed slightly or in a certain way, perhaps then you could establish, yes, they, they, they are the same thing. But the staph aureus that made it to the foot, it's now in a different, you know, microenvironment. And therefore, it may have changed in this predictable way, but it's still the same thing. You know, it came from. This parent strain, essentially, that was, uh, you know, five feet away in the mouth.
2: Yeah. So what we're doing is we're not looking at the plasmids of the the bacterial isolate pairs, I suppose. We're looking at the entire genome, which includes a lot of the which includes the entire core genome, um, as well as an accessory genome Which would contain those kind of mobile genetic elements there that you're talking about, and we compare all of that together. So you're talking about over 2,000 different um, loci, or you know areas of the genome that we compare to each other. And when I talk about um, isolates being identical, then they are the maximum amount of differences that I found between isolates at, at different sites are are six. So it's very, very, oh, wow. very, small. So it's you know, they're nearly suggestive of microevolutions that might occur in that one strain over a period of time, rather than you know, it's it's much tighter. The strains are much more related than them having evolved in a in a. They are they are identical.
1: When you figure out where these uh, staph aureus are coming from, then what you know are you to try to help diabetics uh, prevent foot ulcers, or you know are you gonna is one path possibly to tie it back to oral health and and therefore if you had better oral health you wouldn't have these ulcers?
2: If we are able to show how important periodontal health and, and care is in the prevention of diabetic foot ulcers as well as you know periodontal health improves Diabetes health in general, like research has shown that if you carry out periodontal therapy on patients with diabetes, that can actually improve their glycemic index and their glycemic control. So there's loads of different reasons for improving the oral health education and um, informing patients with diabetes to actually look after their their gums as much as possible and go and see their their dentist twice a year or their hygienist. Um, aside from the other benefits, if we can Improve periodontal health in patients with diabetes, that might potentially be able to reduce the risk of developing an infection of a diabetic foot ulcer, which would have um, hopefully much better outcomes and prevent a lot of lower limb extremity amputations. So I think there needs okay. to be probably more emphasis put on the importance of periodontal care in diabetes care.
1: There needs to be the McManus protocol for, for diabetic dentistry. That's licensed worldwide <laughs> to help people with better health that have uh, that diabetes. You know, that's what needs now, to happen.
2: One thing that we did see in the in the pilot research was actually it was quite hard to recruit people for it because uh, a lot of the patients that we saw actually had no natural teeth left, which I think is is fairly supporting is is giving us fairly supportive evidence that you know periodontal disease in this group is a really big problem.
1: No not, so they literally had no natural teeth left.
2: Yeah. And if you've no teeth huh. then you have no periodontal pockets. So they they although they wanted to they wanted to be involved in the project, they they couldn't because they had no pockets to be sampled. So it's yeah, know, So I know this
1: is getting into weird areas, but someone that has no natural teeth, like what what they their gums become monolithic and they don't do they have to brush anymore? I mean, I would think they still have to uh
2: well yeah take care their a,
1: mouth, you know?
2: Yeah, well they would have dentures. So they'd need to be maintained as well.
1: You- but But in addition to the denture, you take your dent- dentures out. I mean, I don't know if you have, you You probably have anchors, maybe that go through the gum, yeah. you know, so the anchors might act like teeth in a way right. and they you might form get- pockets around them.
2: Yeah, you could still get a lot of biofilm building on, on around dentures and yeah. So there does need oh. to be an oral maintenance or an oral hygiene routine, no matter what. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> Weird. I don't know. I, you know, like I guess, like you, dentistry is very interesting to me for some reason. So you know, I've spoken <laughs> to to quite a few uh, dental people, and I know there's books out now on oral microbiome health. So it's it's growing and growing in
2: importance. Yeah, but the mate is actually really fascinating. Um ecosystem because there's so many different types of surfaces and so many different processes that go go on in there when you think about you know you're producing saliva and then there's the motion of your tongue and then there's so many different surfaces like the tongue and the palate and enamel enamel and gums and and if you think about it the air that you breathe the, the water you drink the food that you eat it all comes in through your mouth so it makes complete sense to me that the mouth and the oral cavity would have a massive impact on your overall health.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. So, Brenda, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and keep tabs on it?
2: Um I'm on ResearchGate and LinkedIn and uh Twitter, you know, the usual places. And we actually have a, a diabetes page or a Twitter's uh handle called dentabetes Ireland that we're we've set up just so if anybody's interested and wants to track our research, we put up posts and stuff there about, you know, promoting periodontal health and talking about diabetic foot ulcers and also talking a little bit about the team and what we're what we're doing as well. So you could check us out on that if you're interested in hearing a little bit more. Okay. Well, very good. Thanks
1: for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you being here.
2: Thanks very much, Richard. Nice to talk to you.
0: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.